do hope and pray that in this hour of worship, uh, you experience uh, the settling, centering presence and nearness of God. Having said that, I'm going to come at you hard and fast with some bad news right now. Ready? The church in North America is shrinking and rapidly aging. This is not just a numerical problem. It can be good and helpful for a season for any organization uh, to get smaller, leaner, and meaner, more streamlined if refocusing and recalibration is the goal. But that is not what is happening in the church in North America right now. The church in North America has a problem, not just with numbers, but with dwindling spiritual energy and spiritual vitality. Christians thought we had a corner on the religious market only to find out that while we were doing our own thing for many decades, the world changed really, really quickly and abruptly. This is a problem because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And our ability as a church to lean into this primary identity and vocation as Jesus' witnesses has been compromised. There's a little book that puts all this bad news in a little capsule with these words. The church of today is calibrated for a world that no longer exists. I believe that to be true in general. Over the past year, our elders, our staff, our senior leadership team has engaged with a little book called Growing Young. It's a church that looked around North America for bright spots where there was high spiritual energy, high spiritual vitality, and what this book found as a common denominator in these congregations that had lots of life and spiritual energy was that they were growing young. So for a few weeks, as all the world and our neighborhoods turn their attention to schools uh, in worship, we're also turning our attention to the younger generation and thinking, how can our church be a bright spot? We are a bright spot, actually, with like the population 0 to 18. Our track record with young adults ages 18 to 29, not such a bright spot. This matters so much because, as those of us who are older share faith, hand the baton of faith off to those who are younger, we are God's evidence as a body altogether. We are God's Proof, we are God's witness the way that green growing grass is a witness to adequate rainfall, or that brown grass is evidence to inadequate rainfall. Like, that is the sense that we are supposed to be a witness to the gospel, not just by running our mouths, but by our spiritual, green, healthy living. That is evidence. No pressure, right? <laughs> no pressure. This happens naturally, but there is a lot riding on this. I mean, Jesus trusted a small ragtag band of disciples with being his living presence in the world. There were just a few dozen of them at first. And over the course of 2,000 years, this plan has gone exceedingly well. Like the witness has covered every corner of the globe. More recently in Western Europe and North America, it has not been our finest hour to be God's living presence in the world. How can we increase our spiritual vitality? That's what these few weeks are about. Not by coming up with something new, not by concocting some new program, not by trying really hard, 
but by returning to some ancient wisdom. It's all in the gospel. It's all in the scriptures. Last week, we observed that healthy churches do what folks did in the days of the New Testament church. They shared the keys of leadership with younger people from the get-go in well-timed and fitting ways. Kids and young adults recognizing that young people are not only the future of the church, they are the church right now. Like, we baptize babies into the body of Christ here. It's a covenantal thing. Every baby is as much a part of the body as every 46-year-old, as every 85-year-old. We believe that. Healthy churches believe that. Healthy churches recognize that faith is not just passed down from young to old. It's actually passed all around, from old to middle, from middle to old, from old to young, from young to old. That's how healthy faith works. So in order to share um, these keys in fitting ways, those of us who are older, you can self-identify. By the way, a millennial, uh, according to the sociologist, was someone born between 1978 and 1998. Can we see the millennials for just a moment? Proudly? Come on, millennials. I mean, we roll our eyes at you all the time. If you're older than millennial, please raise your hand. Okay, there are more of us who are older. Did I mention that the Church of North America is shrinking and rapidly aging? Uh, so, every generation has trouble understanding the next generation. We are going to move today from keys to shoes. The big goal is to get those of us who are older, for the sake of the gospel, to put ourselves into the shoes of the millennials and beyond. There's a lovely pair of Vans skateboard shoes. If you are older than 45, I hazard a guess you have never owned a pair of Vans, right? These have come around three times in my lifetime, at least. They're pretty big right now. For those of us who are older, to try in a pair of Vans for the very first time. Now, you might be rolling your eyes saying, like, I've been working hard my entire life. Isn't it on the younger people to try to understand those of us who have been around the block a few times and sink into our wisdom? Here's how it works, people. If you're old, you have been young once. If you're young, you have never been old. Who has the advantage in this equation? Three cheers for the old people. What? <laughs> With age comes, hopefully, not only wisdom, but the responsibility to help bridge this gap is on us for the sake of love and spiritual vitality and living into being Jesus' witness that we need to do this. Now, this might be hard. Have you seen this McDonald's commercial that has this cynical old granny who just stands in front of a congregation of her peers and says, Millennials, am I right? <laughs> That's all she has to say, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, we know what you're talking I'm going to read you a, a, a quote here, see if you can guess where this came from. Kids these days love expensive things. They have such bad manners, contempt for those in authority. They show disrespect for older people, and they love to run their mouths in place of hard work. They contradict their parents. They don't pay attention around others. They stuff food in their mouths with no manners. They cross their legs. Oh, that's horrible. And they tyrannize their teachers. Any guesses who offered this? It's not just one person. This actually came from various ancient Greeks between 400 and 300 B.C. 
Isn't that wonderful? Every generation rolls their eyes at the next generation. So, like, we have that in common. Everybody always has been doing this. Another thing we have in common is that young adults, in the process of uh, growing up and wrestling with their own identity and the emerging world, actually every human being, but especially in young adulthood, wrestles with these three questions in some way, shape, or form. Number one, who am I? It's a question of basic identity. It's about me. Second question, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? It's a question about us, community. Where's my place? The third universal existential question, what difference is my life going to make? It's a question about uh, purpose and the intent of my life. It's about the wider world. How do I contribute something? What's the meaning of it all? All of us, all of us, all of us, as we grow, wrestle with these questions on some deep down kind of level. I humbly submit to you today that our millennial generation is seeking answers to these questions on more unstable footing than any generation has before. Trying to answer these questions today in a swirling cultural cauldron of confusion. That was a lot of C's. This should elicit in us not only sympathy, oh, feel bad for y'all millennials, like it's tough, like working that out today. It should uh, engender empathy. That is a beautiful biblical word that is one facet of love. It's not just to feel something for another person. It's to get in their shoes and feel what their lives are like because you genuinely understand them. And that is what the gospel asks of us. It's difficult for millennials to answer these questions, especially because the world is moving. One of the ways this is put in the Growing Young book is that for today's young people, our emerging young adults, 15 is the new 25, and 25 is the new 15. Let me explain a quick word about that. It used to be, well, okay, 50 years ago, the average girl entered puberty about 15 and a half. That has gotten dialed back into 2018 so that it's uh, just short of 12 and a half. Like, adolescence begins biologically earlier, okay? On the other side, versus 50 years ago, uh, the average young adult gets married five and a half years later, has a first child six years later, so things that we used to think about maybe at the age of, oh, 25-ish, we're now thinking about at 30 or beyond, Like, this isn't good, bad, or otherwise. I'm just trying to say that the period of adolescence and young adulthood has started earlier and extends way later into this almost never-ending seeming purgatory of a period now. I was pretty sure I was taking my first steps out of adolescence when I was 16 years old and obtained a driver's license. Like, for my generation, for older people, getting your driver's license was a massive step into independence. It didn't mean I was a man yet. It just meant I had independence and personal autonomy in a new kind of way. I believed this so deeply that on my 16th birthday, though I was riddled with violent chicken pox, I had them down my throat, into my stomach. One of my sisters counted 300 on my back alone. My face was a giant scabby mess. 
Even though that was my life situation, I went to the DMV and got my license (laughs) on my 16th birthday and proudly showed everybody, look, I can drive. Did you have the black plague? No, I did not. It's just a chicken box. Like, I have a son. My son Will just got his license last year at age 16. I would guesstimate that maybe 50% enough kids get their license on their 16th birthday now. Like, this has changed. It is no longer the rite of passage that it was. You know what is the rite of passage? Obtaining one of these things. Who cares if you can drive across Illinois if you have the entire world in your pocket? Why do I need to drive over to my friend's house when we can just, like, be together with this thing? What's the average age that a kid gets one of these these days? Four? (laughs) That could be trouble. Uh, I think it's about... I think it's about 12 in our community. It's a little younger than that in the wider world. The freedom that I thought I would enjoy at 16 is now available in a significantly bigger way uh, at age 12. I mean, kids are exposed to the entire world of adult wars, news, gruesomeness, romance, sex through this thing in a way that I could not have hazarded a guess as a 15-year-old. Right? 25 is the new 15. 15 is the new 25. It is tough to get answers to these questions. Along with these phones, uh, along with the changing landscape, I would observe, sociologists observe, that our young people, millennials, experience just as human beings record levels of pressure and anxiety. I think of it this way. It's hard enough just being a regular, simple human being like just for any of us, just maintaining a life. Pretty much every millennial from the get-go has not only had to be themselves, they have also had to manage some kind of online digital representation production of their own lives. Like, that's a lot of emotional and spiritual pressure. I mean, it's so much that I don't even do it. Like, I just, I just ghost through my wife's Facebook. Like, I can't, I don't have the, it's, I struggle enough just being me much less producing a me. Except for my we 10 years ago. I did have a me on my we. Anyway. I'm old. I'm not the only one. Singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran took a 12-month break from all social media so he could recover his creative energy and start writing songs again because just being an online celebrity person is a full-time job. In the church, uh, in a recent survey, 500 uh, Christian youth group seniors were asked what they would like to experience more of at their church in youth group. Know what these seniors said was the number one thing they would like to experience? Deeper conversations about important and spiritual things. Number two was experiencing more hands-on acts of service. And in this laundry list of about 15 things, you know what placed dead last? More games at church. It's not like we're going to stop playing games at youth, like youth group. They have their place. But please, if you're older, like if your ears are open, 
Are you hearing what this next generation is saying? We're looking for more depth, more substance, more traction on what really matters in the world. So what are we going to do? There's a scripture from Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is the main word of the Lord for us today. Uh, Up on the screen, there are going to be two translations. The more familiar one, if you've been around church for a while, says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Possibly familiar to some of you? I don't like this translation for several reasons. Number one, what about the girls? So, like, train up a young person, like, is actually what the Hebrew language says. And the English words, train up a young person in the way they should go, does not quite cover it. What the Hebrew really says is train up a young person according to their bent or according to their way, and then when they are old, they will not depart from it. Here's the difference. The old translation, train up a child in the way he should go, kind of means like, hey, if you're older, you know what's right and wrong. You know the right way. Like channel, guide, discipline, force when necessary your kid into that channel. And then when they're old, they won't be able to get out of it. That is not what the Bible says. That is a false representation of what God's word intends here. What God's word is saying is, if you are older, here's what you need to do. You need to read the life and understand the life of the young people who are under your guidance and shepherding. And when you have understood them, find how their life smashes up against gospel living. Help them find that. And when they're living true to themselves and true to God, they're not going to depart from that. Can you feel the difference? One is like, cram your kid into the good Christian way. The other is, understand your child's life. Work with them and show them the gospel way. That is what the word of God is asking us to do in order to find spiritual energy and vitality. How are we doing with this? Back in July, Andy Pasek, our youth ministries director, and myself sat down with uh, some young adults and some young people from our congregation. Uh, It was kind of encouraging and kind of brutal. Uh, Andy has followed up on a few of these conversations. One of them is going to appear on the screen in the form of a text conversation. The names have been protected for the innocent. How long have you been a part of ECRC, this young woman says? I've been around here since I was born, so we're talking about uh, an insider. Some of your favorite things about church, this young person says, growing up, kids' ministries, youth group, huge part of my life, loved being part of high school youth group while being able to be a leader in middle school and also help with younger kids. Again, this is a kid who like has gotten it from the very beginning. You're in college, different place, then you were serving in youth group, like how's this part going for you now? I must be talking fast. I'm ahead of the tape. And this question about empathy. Hardest life phase for me at our church was returning after my freshman year of college. Again, great, 0 to 18, 19 and beyond. It was the most I've ever felt out of place or like I didn't belong. I went from being so involved in church to feeling like I didn't really have a place here at all. Learned all of these new things at college. About Jesus, awesome. Myself, awesome. 
still in this weird in-between phase of life where I'm too young. Ooh, can we pause for one second? I want to touch on this. So this young woman is saying, these new horizons are opening up for me, but when I come back to church, I don't feel like there's a safe place for me to talk about these new things that I'm wrestling with. So Andy asked her the distinct question, do you feel you have the ability to talk about anything and everything here? So kind of experience the bubble here. Safe, comfortable, great. But when I got back from college in the summers, I learned that topics like racism, sexism, abortion, homosexuality were just not up for discussion here. I was looking for someone to engage with me and explain to me what the church thought and believed, looking for someone to ask my opinions, to be interested in these topics, wasn't really a place where I could be safe or comfortable bringing these things up. I left all these liberal topics and beliefs at school and stopped even trying to engage them at ECRC. Okay, my heart is breaking a little bit right now. I felt like I was, as soon as I turned 18, kicked out of the nest. It wasn't a place for me to seek help and guidance in regard to my faith. Hopefully, if you're older, you are also hurting a little bit. Final question, Andy asks, you're super talented. What's your dream to be able to bring your talents and passions to the congregation? To create a safe space where other people my age can interact and feel community with congregation, congregants, not my own age, of all ages. Other people my age to feel like they belong and their opinions matter too. Again, if you're an older person, as somebody who works at this church, uh, this is one of our, I mean, kids who has been here from day one gets the whole picture, really loves the place, but coming back as a young adult feels like, I don't know if I can be myself anymore. What are we going to do? If you're like me, I'm hoping that as you hear this text exchange, uh, not only does your heart hurt a little bit, but that a desire in your soul is kindled to make room a desire that wants to make room for all of us to be able to be open and experience uh, the complexity of our modern age and the high calling of gospel living all together. That's what our young people are asking for, not more games. They're asking for more substance and spiritual depth. So this fall, uh, there's going to be a new conversation group that's being launched here at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. Uh, it's a group that's going to be called Under the Rainbow, and it's a group for uh, families that have some experience with LGBTQ plus uh, issues, can get together and talk about the life that we are living and the high calling of the gospel and how we walk alongside one another and strive to love each other and accept each other in all the difficulty and beauty and awkwardness of that. This group was not my idea. It's bubbling up from the experiences of uh, real-life people here who are looking for the support and companionship of others who are walking the same walk. 
Uh, if you're a young person here today, I mean, like the girl who wrote this text, I hope you hear that in our congregation, we are not trying to cram you all in a single peg, but we are recognizing, like, we need to start talking about all of life around here. Not in a simple way, but in a way in which our mixed-up world and the high calling of the gospel come right together, and we see how to walk forward with that. When we baptize babies here, uh, they are baptized into the covenant family of God. A covenant means you're going to stick with someone no matter what happens. A covenant is a promise to be with someone no matter what. Not if you end up looking exactly like us. Not if you end up playing by the same rule book that we had in the 1960s. We are promising as a congregation to be with each other, no matter what. So we're going to be a little more deliberate about talking it out, reading the Gospels, putting it all together, and seeing where God leads us. I have the deep conviction that as we take some steps in doing this, like this is going to help our young people be more engaged. This is what they want to do. They know the answers from 30 years ago. There's a beautiful prayer that comes from almost a thousand years ago. St. Francis of Assisi, who prayed this, O Divine Master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. Now, this is the prayer of a mature person. Right? Because all of us want to be consoled. I do. I want to be understood. I want to be loved. But to pray beyond my own personal needs to, oh God, help me be the one to do the consoling. Help me be the one to do the understanding in your name. Oh God, help me to be the one who takes the first step into showing empathy and loving somebody else around here. So how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to talk. I have a few short suggestions in conclusion. Number one, if you are older... Something you can do to kind of prime the pump of your own love and empathy is to try to rewind the story of your own life and get into the shoes of younger people. So to help myself do this, I literally bought the shoes that I was wearing when I was in 8th and ninth grade. These are really bad basketball shoes. I played on a middle school basketball team where we all wore red ones of these, and we turned our ankles all the time. All right? So maybe you're so old that when you were a kid, you wore saddle shoes. Maybe you wore white bucks. Does anybody even know what those are? Oh, great, awesome. Maybe you had Stan Smiths. Maybe you had penny loafers. Like if you still have them in your closet, like literally put them on your feet and walk around and think about what you were doing in middle school and high school. Plus some young person will be like, what is on your feet? <laughs> and then you can talk about that. Awesome. When I put on these shoes, I, it takes me back to 8th and ninth grade and the insanity that I was experiencing as a human being and lots of the behaviors that I have stopped since then and ways of communicating. If we did that as older people, if we routinely remembered what it was like to be young, that would be a huge first step in having us all get together in this gospel stew. Secondly, whenever possible, no matter what generation you're from, if you can ask the question, why, or 
tell me more about that in as judgment-free way you can, that would be a beautiful way of starting conversations together. So here's what I mean. Those shoes. Tell me more about those. Hey, old guy. Why do you feel about politics the way you do? Tell me more about why you really dislike fill in the blank. Hey, young person, that art that's all over your arms, tell me what's behind that. Can you say that in a judgment-free way? I mean, you get great stories with people when you start talking about tattoos. I mean, there's like an incredible story behind most of them. If we can just ask each other judgment-free questions out of genuine curiosity and wanting to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes, that is huge. Now, kids, if you have a parent who starts trying these questions on you, please give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, it's really hard for a parent to be totally judgment-free with a kid. If you sense even a little bit that that's what they're trying to do, like, give them the benefit of the doubt and talk. Preferably before midnight because we can't listen anymore once it's midnight. Because we're old. Finally and lastly, if you're an older person, like none of us can do this for everybody. I mean, there are upwards of 700, 750 beautiful Christian uh, beyond millennial people in this very community. If everybody... I'll stop with the millennials. If everybody over 30 did this for one young adult in the world, the spiritual repercussions would be epic. You do not have to do this for 20 people. But if the Holy Spirit is showing you one face in your life right now, this is the invitation for today. Is there one for whom... You can read their life and understand them, listen to their life, and help talk about the deep and significant things. About eight months from now, our church is going to enter into a season uh, where we are doing this in a little bit of a more formal and experimental way of cramming the generations together. If you want to get a jump start on this, by all means, start talking, go out for coffee, ask your curious questions. This is not about trying harder. This is not about adding one more thing to your list. This is about wisely walking into the ancient wisdom of God. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Literally, God got into our shoes, our crummy Shoes. God loved us so much, Jesus came from heaven and earth, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's act of empathy and getting in our shoes produced eternal, incredible, miraculous consequences. When we live into his example, there's going to be some really good stuff that happens. By God's grace, that is what is coming for us. Might we do the same for one another? Will you pray with me? Lord God, today 
we ask that you will make us instruments of your peace. That you will give us the desire uh, not so much to be consoled as to be those who console. The desire not so much to be understood as to understand. The desire not so much to be loved as to be the ones giving the love. For it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we receive pardon for our sins, and it's in dying that we are born again to eternal life. In Jesus' name, we believe this to be true. Amen.